0: Oh, good morning, Journey. So my name's Christian. For those of you who are brand new, thank you for being with us this morning. We had an unbelievable week at uh, Slamma Jamma, what we call our Vacation Bible School. I had the opportunity to speak to the kids on Wednesday and to tell them about Jesus and to give them an opportunity. Um, to respond with over 150 kids that said, "Man, I, I want some type of relationship with Jesus." Whether kids who'd grown up in church, I said, "I want to know more." Uh, maybe kids who have been around church, I said, "I think I want to be baptized now." And then maybe kids who had never heard about Jesus before that said, "Man, if this guy's real, I want him in my life." So it was unbelievable to get to be a part of that day. On the way out, as kids were leaving, I was kind of standing at the door, just high-fiving everyone, having a good time. And two little girls walked up to me. One was. I think nine, and the other one was eight, Um, and the kids, they're all sitting on the floor while I'm speaking, so no one looks at you, like they all look at the screen, so a little girl came out, she kind of looked at me, and looked at her friend, looked at me, and she said, "Are, are, are you the pastor that spoke on the stage today, and I said, yep, that's me, and her other friend looked at me, and she said man, you talk so long. Um, And I said, like, I'm sorry. Her mom was like, oh my goodness, I'm so embarrassed. I said, that's okay. I do talk long sometimes. So I'll try not to talk long today, but I I had a really good time with your kids. Every time I hang out with our kids or our teenagers, like I flash back to my childhood, to my youth, and just have so many fond memories. Danielle and I Two weeks ago, we're out of town, and every now and then, when we go on a road trip and we can't find a good radio station, and there's no cell service, Spotify is not working, we'll just kind of channel surf, and every now and then, we'll find a radio station like from our youth. Like, do you remember the last road trip where you where you've been on and you ran across like a radio station playing something that you would have listened to like when you were on a road trip? in high school. Danielle and I had one of those moments a few years ago where a boys to men song was on the radio. And partly just because I hadn't heard it since I was 20, um, and partly just to embarrass our kids, Danielle and I were singing this boys to men song like at the top of our lungs. And about the third verse into that song, which I knew every word of, I started listening to the song instead of as a a person, as a dad with my 15-year-old and like 13-year-old in the back seat. And I immediately thought like, this is the worst song ever to sing in front of your kids. Like, this is so sinful and sexual. It's like, turn the radio station, find a Christian station. You guys are never allowed to listen to boys, the men. Like, this song that I knew every word of, I'd never really listened to, I guess, until that moment. It was like, ooh, that's bad. Like, Lord, forgive me for knowing all those words so well and the pitches and the harmonies. I mean, I could, I could nail it, but it was, it was bad. Um, I had that exact same thought two years ago singing the song that we just sang with Brandon and our student band. Um, And by the way, man, how good is our student band? You know, everyone in that band is under the age of 16. Like all the music coming off our stage, the vast majority of it was being played by kids that were 13 and 14 years old. So the future, man, of the church is strong. But we were singing that song. It's called This I Believe. It was written by a, a, um, a church in Australia by the name of Hillsong. Hillsong Worship wrote it. Uh, And it's just the words of the Apostles' Creed. Several years ago, we're singing that song in church. And as I'm, uh, you know, in my front row seat, just kind of singing that song, like I was so comforted in my heart by the truth. Like as the words of the song were going through my head, I just thought this means everything to me. Like without these things, I believe in this, I believe in this, I believe in this. Without these things, I would be totally lost. And I had kind of the reverse thought of my boys to men moment. As I was singing that song, I thought, I wonder how many people... ...are singing this song but don't know what it means. I wonder how many people are singing these words but not thinking about them. I wonder how many people are saying this but they don't believe this... ...because it's never really been given to them as something that is foundational to their faith. And I decided that moment two years ago that at some point in my life I would take 10 weeks... ...and I would teach through the foundational teaching of Christian found in the Apostles' Creed. And we begin that series today... It's a series we're calling Old Time Religion where we're going to kind of pull back some of the oldies but the goodies. We're going to talk about the Apostles' Creed for 10 weeks. We're going to give some hymn stories and sing some of the hymns that for those of us who grew up in church, you still know in the back of your head, you haven't heard them for 20 years, but you'll know them as soon as you hear them. We're going to be next week practi- practicing the ordinance of baptism. We're going to be baptizing, baptizing some dads in our service next week. We're going to be taking communion more often. As a church, we're just going to kind of pull back to old-time religion the next 10 weeks. And I think it's going to be a really, really good time of learning for all of us. If you have your bulletin, I want you to reach inside of it and I want you to pull out your notes because as we enter this series, and if you don't have a bulletin or a Bible, you can download our Journey Church International app and everything you see on the screen will be there in your handheld device so that you can follow along. As we get ready to enter this series, here's what I want you to understand about the Apostles' Creed The Apostles' Creed is not a creed that was stated by the Apostles. Like we don't know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke and john and peter and the apostles said these words but it's a creed that was shaped on the foundational teaching of the apostles for the first 100 years of the church we find it in its earliest form in 140 a.d think about this jesus was crucified in the mid 30s a.d a hundred years later than that the people who followed jesus said we believe in jesus because of these reasons And they would cite the creed We follow Jesus for these reasons And they would cite the creed And a hundred years into the church The church all agreed The only reasons they followed Jesus Were these reasons We find this entire creed Referenced in a letter from the church council of Milan To the Pope in 390 AD Which means this 1100 years before Christopher Columbus got on a boat The church said This is why Christians follow Jesus And it hasn't changed So I want you to think about that if I were to ask you today why you follow Jesus, if you're a Christian, if I were to say, why do you follow Jesus, what would you say is the reason? Because for 2,000 years, the church has said, if you follow Jesus, this is the reason. If you're not a Christian, and every week we have people here who are not Christians, thank you for being here. You are always welcome here to learn, ask questions. Uh, we, we love for people who aren't Christians to come to our church and maybe learn more about Christianity but if you're not a Christian, what do you think your Christian friends believe about Christianity? What do you believe? You know, the Apostles' Creed covers the broad foundational theology of the Christian church. It's why we believe what we believe. So for the next 10 weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at the Creed, but we're going to go back to Scripture and see why we believe what we believe because I think a lot of Christians have a very loose belief in the things that are most important To their Christian faith and I want to kind of solidify the foundation of our belief before this fall We dig into a series called fearless where we study the life of daniel and we learn how to live with A a courage in our life where where we study a, a series called whispers and we go back with elijah And we learn how to hear the voice of god on a daily basis all those things are coming this fall But I want to build a foundation first So every week we're going to read together the apostles creed so inside your bulletin is this little card if you're on the app, it's going to be on the phone. It's also going to be on the screen behind us, but it's going to be one, like, ver- one line at a time, so it'll be harder. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In recognition of the apostles who gave their life for this creed, I'm going to ask you to stand. And every week together, we will stand and we will read the Apostles' Creed. And then we'll back up and say, do we really believe this? So go ahead and stand if you would. Take this little card in your hand or your app, or you can read it on the screen. For the, for the last 2,000 years, the church globally has said, Here's why we follow Jesus. And what are the reasons? Let's read together out loud if we could. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You can be seated. Now, for those of you in the room who are Catholics and you just got really, really excited, hang on just a minute. (laughs) For those of you in the room who were raised so Baptist, that, like you wouldn't even say that word in fear that your Sunday school teacher, Sunday school teacher would yell at you, hang on just a minute. I want you to take a pen and just circle that word Catholic right there. I want you to see that it's lowercase. In the Latin, when that original word was written 1,700 years ago, the word Catholic means universal. That's all that it means. So the, we, when we as Christians say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, what we're saying is we believe the church is for all nations, all languages, all cultures, all lands all races, all people. That's who God's church is for. That's what that word means. I'll teach on that phrase on August 6th, the holy Catholic church and talk about God's universal church. But before we do this, let me ask you a question. If you're a Christian, did you know all this? Like this is the foundation of your faith. If you're a Christian, were you aware of all this? Do you believe all this and does it give you comfort and direction? And if you're not a Christian, did you know that this is what Christians believe? If you're a Christian who wants to go deeper in your faith, I want to invite you to be here the next 10 weeks with us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, but you've always been curious about what Christians believe, I want to invite you to be here with us the next 10 weeks so that we can learn together this Apostles' Creed because as Christians, if this is true, it determines how we connect to God. Like if we feel like we're connected to God, this creed tells us why. If we're Christians, it tells us how we can know God. How we can relate to God. Why we feel like we can have a relationship with the God of the universe. If we're Christians, it teaches us what God's mission is and how to serve on it. So we're going to begin to study this, but we're going to do it by studying kind of one phrase at a time. And today we're going to start with two words, I believe. I don't know if you noticed it, but the three main sections of the Apostles' Creed all begin with the same two words, I believe. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in God. In the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 9, if you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and, and turn there with me. Mark chapter 9, we, we read a story about Jesus and two groups of people. Uh, we read a story about Jesus and a group of people who did not believe in Jesus, and they didn't want anyone to believe in Jesus. And we read a story about Jesus and a group of people who wanted everyone to believe in Jesus. And then we meet one man in this story who was kind of in between, and Jesus talks to him individually about his faith. We're going to study this in Mark chapter 9 today because I want you to know what you believe and why, or what you don't believe and why. And it's my goal that when you leave today, you will begin to at least be able to say, I think I believe this, and here's why, or I don't believe this, and here's why. We see all of that in Mark chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 14. Here's kind of the backdrop of the story. Jesus and three of his best friends, Peter, James, and John. We're up kind of having a spiritual retreat on a mountain. If you've been around church, it was called the Mount of Transfiguration. They kind of had like, a, like an overnight studying the Bible with God, meeting with God. They come down the mountain. The rest of Jesus' ministry team is at the bottom of the mountain. They're in an argument with some friends, and here's what we read from Mark. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. We'll go through verse 29. It says, when they, if you're like a Bible person that likes to know pronouns, they is Jesus, Peter, James, and John. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them as soon as all the people saw jesus they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him what are you arguing with them about he asked a man in the crowd answered teacher i brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of his speech whenever it seizes him it throws him into the ground it foams at the mouth he gnashes his teeth he becomes rigid i ask your disciples to drive out the spirit but they could not you unbelieving generation jesus replied How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, like, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind Can only come out by prayer. Now, if you still have your Bible open, go back to verse 23. There's a verse in there that should intrigue us, as a Christian, as a non-Christian. Go back to verse 23. There's a verse in there that should challenge us. Here's what Jesus says in Mark 9:23, the second part of the verse. He said, Everything is possible for one who believes. Everything is possible for one who believes. Everything is possible for one who believes. So let me ask you a question. What do you believe? What do you believe? How do you believe? Um, Why do you believe? Because Jesus says something pretty important here about belief. Everything is possible for him who believes. What do you believe? Because in Mark chapter 9, we see three levels of belief, and I believe probably they're represented in this room today. First, we see a lack of belief. I don't know if you caught it, but we show up in this narrative that happened 2,000 years ago, and we see a group of people convinced not to believe in Jesus who are trying to convince everyone else not to believe in Jesus. And before I get to the reason why, just let me say this. It's easy to lose faith in Jesus if your faith is based on the failure of his followers. And if you're in here today and you have a lack of belief, if you're here today and I say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? And you say, no. And I say, why? Why? Some would say, "Mm, I've just never really thought about it, not into that. But many will say, because I knew a Christian, because I knew a pastor, because I experienced this at church. And you will say, I have a lack of belief in Jesus because his followers at some point or another have proven to let me down. His followers at some point or another have proven that he is not worth following. So Jesus comes down the mountain. He's got two groups of people. He's got a group of disciples who love him who believe in him, who quit their jobs to follow him, who've left their families to follow him. Like they've given up their occupation and their full-time occupation now is to be a follower of Jesus. They want the whole world to follow Jesus. And then you have a group of teachers of the law. These are these are basically seminary professors. These are older guys in their late 40s to mid 60s. They're trained, they're educated. You know, they, they are the white-bearded knowledgeable people of the day, they hate Jesus. They think Jesus is a fraud. They think Jesus' followers are frauds. They don't want anyone follow Jesus. And Jesus comes down the mountain and these two are arguing and here's why. A dad came with a boy who needed some some medical, spiritual physical help. He heard that Jesus did that type of thing. He brought him to Jesus and the disciples like he's not here. He's on a camp out. He'll maybe be back back tomorrow. Um, But let us see if we can help you. And they couldn't. And the teachers of the law said, aha, you cannot trust Jesus because you cannot trust his followers. His followers will always let you down. His followers will always overpromise and underdeliver. His followers do not have the promises or the power that he does. See, we don't follow Jesus. No one should follow Jesus. The whole thing is a fraud. And they were convinced because of the failure of his followers, nobody should follow him. And listen, if your belief in Jesus is based on anybody besides Jesus, it will eventually become a lack of belief. I did student ministry for 10 years. There's, there's a term we use in student ministry called missionary dating. You say, what is missionary dating? It's when a Christian starts dating someone who's not a Christian, and we're like, listen, this is probably going to end well. And they're like, oh, I just love them because I want them to know Jesus. Um, and then when that friend starts coming to youth group, they get really passionate about Jesus too until they break up, and then they don't care about Jesus anymore. They've proven, listen, I only love Jesus because I love that guy or that girl, and I wanted to be with them. Missionary dating, ministry dating. There are a lot of people in churches today that pursue Jesus because of what they want him to give them. And as long as Jesus gives them that, they follow Jesus. But as soon as they lose that, they're done with Jesus. If you follow Jesus for any reason other than Jesus, eventually your belief will become a lack of belief. It might start there. You might have a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, You might have a boss at a job. You might have a coach. You might have a teacher. You might have somebody that you really admire who has a faith walk and you think, I want to be like them. So you step into faith because you want to follow in their footsteps. But eventually, if you don't connect your belief to Jesus, his followers will always let you down. They just do. We're human. It happens. It happened here and it led to a lack of belief. Secondly, we see a parent's belief. So we see a lack of belief. You can't follow Jesus. You just can't trust Jesus or the people that he's leading. But then we see a parent's belief. Jesus walked to these two groups, a group of two men, probably 15 or 20 people, nine disciples that were all ranging from probably 17 to 25, a group of teachers of the law, probably a half dozen to 10 of them. They rarely traveled alone that would arrange anywhere from 45 to 65. And they're in this loud argument that's drawing a crowd. And Jesus steps into the middle of this argument and says, what are you talking about? He's asking two groups of people, the disciples and the teachers of the law. What are you arguing about? Neither has a chance to answer because a desperate father speaks up so fast that he shuts everyone else down. He says, what are you arguing about? And the dad basically said, who cares about religious debate? My son needs help. You know, it's interesting how parents, how people don't have time for religious argument when their kids need help from Jesus. Like, it's interesting how quick we get past the garbage of religious debate when someone needs help from Jesus and this parents faith this parent in crisis stepped up and said I really I'm not concerned with anything right now except what's going on with me and I will do about anything if you can help me right now when people need help from Jesus they get really focused really fast this dad was he cut through the disciples he cut through the religious leaders of the day he cut everyone off and said I need help Now, it was not just a parent's belief, but it would be what I would call a crisis belief. It's interesting how quick we are to come to Jesus in crisis. But Jesus didn't solve the crisis like right then, uh, right now, in an immediate manner. Jesus instead, he stopped to talk to the father a little bit. I'm not sure why, although the rest of this story will reveal it later. But I think Jesus knew if I help this dad right now... The dad is coming to me because he needs help, not because he needs me. And as soon as he has my help, he won't care about me anymore. And how many Christians are there alive in the United States of America in 2017 who get really close to Jesus, not when we need him, but when we need his help? And as soon as we've received the help, we kind of drift back to where we were. Kind of a very lukewarm faith, maybe no faith at all. I read an interesting study the other day that said 80% of atheists pray in crisis. That's the thought. I don't believe in God, but if he's there, Hail Mary. Like, you know, it's like, I don't know, but, but maybe. We kind of laugh, but I wonder, I, I, bet, I bet only 80% of Christians pray in crisis, just, just like the atheist. The rest of the time, we just kind of let it go. So Jesus stops and he engages this father because he knows if I fix the crisis, I don't connect you to me. But if we can have a faith moment, maybe we can not just get through a crisis but start something brand new. So Jesus kind of teaches us that if our commitment to Jesus is based on our children, if our commitment to Jesus is based on our family, if our commitment to Jesus just revolves around a crisis, eventually, again, it's going to become a lack of commitment. Again, it can start there. God can use anything to bring us to our knees and to direct our attention to him. But if all of our faith is crisis-related rather than Christ-centered, eventually it just comes and goes. And what it reveals to us, what Jesus exposes in Mark chapter 9, and what Jesus addresses in Mark chapter 9 is number three, what I call a shallow belief. So we see a lack of belief. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't want anyone else to believe in Jesus. People have let me down. Churches have let me down. I'm not going to go there anymore. We see kind of this crisis belief. Listen, I went, in times of crisis, nothing matters but Jesus. But when the crisis is over, I don't need him. But now we see like this shallow belief that Jesus is going to kind of dig into with both this dad and later his disciples. I don't know if you realized it, but Jesus used the words how long three times. It was a key question asked by Jesus three times. Three different questions in verse 19 and verse 21 Started by how long, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to have to put up with you? Then he asked the dad, How long has the boy been this way? The question of today is how long? And in the context of what we're studying this summer, let me ask you this question How long do your faith commitments normally last? Let's start with a different question. When's the last time you really made a strong faith commitment? How long did it last? When's the last time you committed to read your Bible? How long did it last? When's the last time you committed to pray? How long did you pray? When's the last time you committed to give? How long did you give? When's the last time you committed to serve? How long did you serve? When's the last time you committed, as a, as a, as a dad, to, to lead your kids spiritually? How long did that last? Like, how long do your spiritual commitments normally last? Because Jesus had a knack for challenging follow-through on commitments, Peter was one of his best friends, one of his disciples. In Matthew chapter 14, another one of Jesus' friends who was there on this occasion, Jesus and his disciples had done a long day of ministry. At the end of the day of ministry, Jesus told his disciples, go home. They would have to take a boat kind of across the corner of a lake to get home. It would save them a few hours. Jesus said, I'm going to stay here and pray. I'll meet you on the other side. The Bible says, as only Jesus could do, he prayed all night and kind of halfway through the night he looked and his disciples weren't all the way home yet and Jesus, because I guess he likes shortcuts, was like, you know, I don't want to walk all the way around. So he just kind of took off across the water. I don't know how it happened. I just know the Bible, which I believe said it did. It says as he was walking on the lake past the boat, the disciples freaked out. and were like, hey, there's a ghost walking on the water. And Jesus was like, don't freak out. It's not a ghost. It's just me. And Peter said, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus was like, all right, come on. And the Bible says Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water towards Jesus. And then he saw the wind, he got freaked out and he fell. And Jesus asked him a question that to me used to be one of the more offensive statements that Jesus ever made. It was offensive to me and it was discouraging to me. And here's, and here's the reason why. Like how much bigger faith can you have than to try to walk on water towards Jesus? Like I want you to think about what you've done in your life that's taken faith. And was it bigger than getting out of a boat in a storm and walking on water. Like, that's either insane faith or just insanity, one or the other, like to get out of a boat. Two years ago, we were in Israel, and we were on the Sea of Galilee, and I was watching in our boat as we were driving, you know, from Tiberias towards the shore of Capernaum, where Jesus' ministry base was, and man, the sea that day was calm, and it just looked like glass, and it was so smooth, and like for a second, I thought, like, just maybe, like, just maybe if I had enough faith, like, just Maybe one step. And I thought, there's no way. Like, who has enough faith to get out of a boat and try to walk on water? But Peter, like, he's got to have more faith than anyone in the world that ever came before or after him. Yet Matthew says that when Peter started to fall, here's what Jesus said to him. He said, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, you have little faith. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? That question used to be offensive to me. Because I thought, man, if Peter has little faith, there's nothing I can do to make Jesus think my faith is big. And it was discouraging because I thought, if walking on water is little faith, I have no faith. Like, I must be the worst Christian in the history of the world. But then I realized that word little, Jesus didn't use the word little. He used probably an Aramaic or Greek word. Almost everyone in Jesus' day spoke Aramaic. If they lived in Israel, which was the language of the Israeli people, or Greek, Koine Greek was the English of its day. When Alexander the Great conquered the world, he basically told the people with him, I want to be able to ride my horse into any place where I rule and speak to people without an interpreter. So the whole world learned this language called Koine Greek, which means common Greek, which the Bible was written in. It was the first time in the history of the world since the ark that everyone spoke the exact same language, which allowed the message of Jesus to go out. You can see how God uses languages. But when we study the Bible, we have to go study what they said because sometimes our words aren't good enough. And little faith does not mean small faith. This word little, it's a, it's a chronological word. It's, it's like a timepiece word. It literally means short durations of faith. God wasn't chastising Peter because his faith wasn't big enough He was chastising Peter for not following through on his commitment. He was basically saying, Peter, like, could you not keep faith for even 10 seconds? Like, Peter, how many times are you going to make a commitment to read your Bible and stop after a week? How many times are you going to commit to pray and do it for three days? How many times are you going to commit to serve and then change your mind? Like, can you not keep a commitment And Jesus had a knack for issuing this challenge, like he did in Mark 9, 23, when he said, everything is possible for one who believes. That's a man, if you can do anything. Jesus said, I can do everything. I can help your son. I actually will help your son. But before we do that, let's talk about you. How's your belief? And it says, immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. He sounds double-minded, kind of believe, kind of don't believe, want to believe, can't believe. Again, we go back to what he would have said, probably speaking Greek that day. The word unbelief means a weakness of power to continue. The dad literally said, I believe enough to make commitments, but I can't ever follow through. Think about that. Is that a prayer you, you need to pray that you've ever prayed? She said, man, everything is possible for him who believes. And the dad said, listen... I have enough belief to make commitments, but I don't have the strength to ever follow through on them. Will you help me with that? I believe enough to commit to everything, but I'm just not strong enough to follow through on anything. Does that sound like you spiritually? Does that sound like you with your diet? Does that sound like you at the gym? Does that sound like you with continuing education? I mean, that applies to everything, right? I'm strong enough to make commitments. I am not strong enough to follow through. Jesus, will you help me? I have a shallow belief. I never follow through on my commitments. Does that sound like you? It sounds like me. Jesus is addressing two types of shallow faith in Mark chapter 9. First, the faith of a father who commits to do everything and then often doesn't. Guilty. And then he challenges the faith of his disciples. These disciples who want to have all this spiritual impact, but don't. They pull Jesus aside after this whole thing is over. And they're like, hey, why... Like why why couldn't we do that? We want to be more spiritually impactful. Like we want to reach our city. We 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 want we want people to see Jesus in us. Like I, you know I want to be the best Christian there is. What's what's wrong with us that we couldn't do this? And Jesus says in Mark nine twenty nine, this kind what you're dealing with here, this kind of strength spiritually you're talking about, it only comes out by prayer. He said did the disciples, like did they not pray enough? Did they forget to pray first? Did they forget to pray after? Did they pray the wrong words? Like, what does he mean, prayer? Only by prayer in this context, Jesus is basically saying the type of spiritual strength you're looking for only comes through a deep and personal connection to God that's from your heart and your soul. Prayer is communion with God before it's a sentence that you say out loud or from your heart. Prayer is personally and relationally connecting to God. And the disciples said, how come our faith isn't strong? And Jesus says, your faith is shallow. That's why. You see, the disciples mistook the power of Jesus as quasi-magical, like a magic spell. When in reality, it was deeply personable. We actually see this happen several times in the book of Acts. When people want all the power of Jesus without spending any time with Jesus... And I believe today we have, if you're a Christian, I promise you, you want all the power of Jesus. And probably with as little time with Jesus as you can possibly spend. It's just the way our culture works. We want to work out once and be in shape. We want to eat good one day and lose weight. We want to say one prayer and have all of Jesus. It's just the way our culture works. The disciples believed in Jesus but they didn't live in Jesus. And there's a difference. The disciples believed in Jesus, but they didn't live in Jesus. And the best way to explain that is with an illustration. In the language that the Bible was written in Greek, there were two different words used for knowledge. One of the words was the word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. If you ever eaten gnocchi, it kind of looks like that. Word, gnosis. It meant head knowledge. It meant to be aware of something. A gnosis of this stool says this I believe this stool can hold me. I believe it right here. That's one form of belief that the Bible gives us. I am aware that this can do that. But then there's a second word that's always used of people who knew Jesus, and it's the word epinosis. It's a prefix that says I know it from experience. See, my mind knows this stool can hold me, but I don't really believe that until I sit in it. Like, this is a picture of biblical Christianity. Not being aware of who Jesus is. Not, oh yeah, I I know who Jesus is. But saying, I have put my entire weight behind this knowledge, and I have experienced it. Jesus, The best picture of the word believe in the Bible is a picture of someone sitting in a chair. This is not me talking about believing that this stool can hold me. This is believing that this stool can hold me. Epinosis. It's a knowledge. But it takes experience and action. It takes you actually doing something. You know, when you study the New Testament... For those of you who say, I want to be deeply and personally connected to God, how do I do that? There are some minimum standards of personal connection in Christianity in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, if you read through this book from Matthew to Revelation, you don't find one person that calls himself a follower of Jesus who doesn't at the very least do all four of these things that I've got listed on your notes. These are the minimum standard requirements for experiencing Jesus, not just knowing about him. You can't find one Christian in the New Testament who doesn't have a commitment to God's word and prayer, not one, there's none there. There's no one in the New Testament called a Christian who doesn't study God's word and pray. There's not one Christian from Acts chapter one on in the Bible called a Christian who does not have a commitment to God's church and they're actively engaged in church, not one. There's not one Christian who says, oh, I'm a Christian. I just don't go to church. There's not one in the whole New Testament. There's not one Christian who doesn't meet the minimum standard of connecting to God's people through groups of people. Who's engaged in community because they know they cannot do it on their own. Not one. Every now and then we see a guy like Paul who wrote several books in the New Testament in isolation. And he's actually asking his small group to come to prison with him. Because he knows he's stronger together than he is by himself. And there's not one Christian in the New Testament who doesn't have a commitment to God's work through serving. Once we get past Acts chapter 6, everyone kind of had a what do we need to do to serve each other attitude. So I want you to think about this. When it comes to, oh, I know about Jesus. Yeah, I know about Jesus. I'm aware of him. And yeah, I'm all in with Jesus. There's not one Christian in the New Testament who doesn't meet at a minimum, all four of these requirements, yet most Christians in the American church today don't meet even one of them. We say, "Oh, I know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. You know Jesus. You know of Jesus. You've heard about Jesus. You're aware of Jesus. Oh, I know Jesus. Did you read your Bible and pray this week? No, you know about Jesus. Oh, I know Jesus. You really engaged in God's church? Well, no, but I know Jesus. No, 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 you know about Jesus. Oh, I know Jesus. Do you have a group of Christians that make sure you make it in life? Well, no. Well, then you know about Jesus. You don't know, you don't know Jesus. Oh, I, I know Jesus. Are you serving him and his people and his church and his mission? Well, no, but I know Jesus. No, you know about Jesus. Because the biblical thought of belief, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus, God's only son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. For 300 years, almost everyone who believed those things died for their faith. Because they believed it. They didn't know about it. They believed it. And it sustained them in this life and into the next one. Can I be honest with you for a minute? You know, my, my role here is to pastor our church. So 95% of conversations I have on a weekly basis are people who are here. Some in the room right now or will be in the room today. And man, I'm dealing with a broken world. Marriages where husbands moved out, wives trying to handle the kids, or vice versa. People coming to church but marriage is hard. Teenagers who are in rehab because they flunked out of school because of their drug or their alcohol addiction. Conversations this week with people in our church so depressed, discouraged that they're thinking about killing themselves. Talked to a dad this week whose only prayer request for me this week is that I would pray that the bank wouldn't foreclose on his house because this week they went three months late on their payment and he contacted the bank and asked for one more month before they took their house and on and on and on cancer losing jobs heartache family secrets that people can no longer keep you know what I'm learning the more I do ministry it's not enough to know about Jesus doesn't help you knowing about Jesus is like knowing about George Washington it doesn't help you but knowing Jesus Experiencing Jesus Through his word, through his prayer Through his church, through his people Through his mission That'll get you through the hard days That'll give you hope In a hopeless world That'll give you faith when everything else is broken Knowing Jesus It's not just enough to be aware of Jesus If you really want to make it with him You've got to believe in Jesus You've got to be all in So what do you believe? What do you believe? How do you believe? How do you know? Do you know here or do you know here? That's the question I want to challenge you with as we get ready to leave today. What do you believe? How do you believe? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? As-